This is where you go to learn what you need to help you elevate your impact, influence, and income by self-publishing your first nonfiction book. Welcome to She Gets Published with your host, Amazon International best-selling author and self-publishing coach, Lynette Pottle. Hey, hey, my soon-to-be published author friend. Welcome to episode 17. This is a really special episode. I am super excited to introduce you to today's guest, graphic designer, Ashley Hinson DeCall. I've personally been working with Ashley, gosh, well over five years now, but the story of how we actually met is pretty cool. I reference it back on episode 10 when I shared places to find designers. You may recall my top recommendation was to look within your own network for referrals, and that's exactly how I met Ashley. But the fascinating and somewhat kismet thing about the whole situation is that she had only just recently moved back to Maine after living in Nepal. In fact, as it turns out, she was living in the same teeny tiny town in Maine as me, less than a mile away from my house. Fun, right? I never dreamt in a million years someone with Ashley's level of talent and expertise would practically be living in my backyard, but it goes to show it truly can be surprising who you may only be one degree of separation from wherever you live in the world. So in this interview, true to how she shows up in everything she does, Ashley shares from her heart and provides tons of value in the suggestions she makes. You'll want to grab a pen and paper for this one. And if you're driving, listen now, but come back again later so you can capture all the incredible tips to support you as you publish your first or next book. Without further ado, let's dive in. I'm thrilled to introduce you to my friend and lead designer for Positivity Lady Press, Ashley Hinson DeCall. Well, one of the things that I have most loved about our relationship that has grown over the past few years of working together is there's never been a time where I felt like silly asking a question (laughs) because let's face it, I've had tons and tons of questions and you always meet me with the most, um, compassionate and thoughtful answers and lift me up in the process. So I'm excited for you to share that same kind of wisdom with our audience today. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you um, for that. And, you know, I think that you can attest to this as well. When we've worked together, it's been a learning experience for me too, um, understanding, you know, what each publisher requires. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a learning experience for me as well. And it's been great. I love that. And and it's been a true partnership. That's what I talk about a lot of times when I'm working with clients is it that's really what you want to go for. It's not just about hiring someone. It's about finding someone that feels like you have a true partnership, someone that's invested as invested in your project as you are. And I've certainly found that with you, Ashley. Oh, thank you. So what I'd like to do is, and I know you've heard me talk about this a lot, but I'm such a big advocate of investing wisely as you're publishing the first book. A lot of times Mm -hmm. budget is a concern. Mm -hmm. I do strongly feel that 
the best places to put that budget are in professional editors and book designers. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear from you, your thoughts around, because you work with people with varying budgets, different size projects, Mm -hmm. and kind of what that looks like from your perspective. Sure. And I definitely understand, you know, the constraints that a lot of us have when we're, you know, taking on a new project. Um, And I like to be accommodating to whatever my clients' budgets are um, and really focus on the areas that are most important. And I've heard you speak to this in the past on your podcast, which is that what you really want in the end result is something that looks professional, um, something that looks thoughtful, and ultimately something that somebody is going to want to pick up and take home with them, something that's compelling. Um, and I think that, you know, given all of the work that goes into writing a book, um, you, know, you don't want to sell yourself short by skimping on those those final uh, areas. And I'm not a, a book editor, but I know that in working with editors, how much uh, work goes into that process and how many changes come out of it and how happy um, the authors I work with are that they've gone through that professional process. It's helped them in their writing. Um, and in terms of the design, you know, like I said, it's it's that final touch, that that last 10% of getting it looking as professional as it sounds and getting the quality of the the visual aspects of the book um, to really um, be on par with the quality of the content inside. Yeah, definitely. Because people do judge books by their covers. This is true. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and investing for that thoughtful eye. I know over the years, if, as we have evolved in our working relationship, Mm -hmm. I've grown um, a language. I know the language to speak to help communicate what my vision is, but that wasn't the way in the beginning. What are some of the tips that you could give to folks around being able to communicate with a designer in those early stages? Maybe it's the first time they've ever worked with a designer. Sure. That's a great question. Um, I mean, you know, Sometimes an author will come to me and they'll have a very clear vision. Like you mentioned, you know, you, you have always come to me and said, you know, I, I want it to look like this. I want it to feel like this. I want these colors involved. And that's super helpful as a designer because the, the options are really limitless in terms of where we could go with the design. Um, so it's at the same time, you know, if someone is not, um, a designer or an artist, sometimes it, it is difficult to communicate exactly what they want. So what I often do is I'll ask people, you know, what's sort of the the feeling that you want to evoke or what are some images or imagery or, or uh, symbols that you think of um, when you think of how you want to present your book? And of course, a lot of this has to do with the genre of the book, um, what the content is, Um, the subject matter and what kind of category you find yourself in, um, in terms of where you'd place yourself in the bookstore and and what the norms are associated with other books um, similar to yours, sort of in the same family. So so we can kind of draw on that a bit in terms of the genre and the sector of the book. Um, But, you know, I think the author knows the content so well, frontwards and backwards. They, They are the ones that you know, birth the book. So they know how they want to present it to the world. Um, and so I, I really like to draw upon what they're envisioning. And that can be very abstract. That could be, you know, I just want bright colors or 
I want a sunrise motif or something having to do with dawn, or I want it to feel very businessy, or I want it to feel very professional and simple. And, and all of those adjectives, all of those words are super helpful for me because I think in that, that visual way, but they're just describing kind of the, the feeling or the vibe that they want to get across to people um, as they're, they're promoting their book. Yes, I love that. And you know what came up for me as you were talking about that, the word abstract. I think about mm-hmm. uh, a recent project that we worked on together for a yet-to-be-released uh, book, mm-hmm. and I sent you kind of this inspiration idea, and your question to me was, like, are you interested also in seeing some things that might be a little abstract? And while mm-hmm. that wasn't originally in my awareness, by leaning into that and tapping into your expertise, what we created as a result was like phenomenal, like 10 mm-hmm. times better than what I had envisioned. So also being, I, I think my advice there is being clear, but also being flexible and open uh-huh. to seeing what can evolve from that relationship of with your designer. Absolutely. Um, I think all designs fall somewhere on the spectrum of being more literal or more abstract. Um, And, you know, you you can think about the books you have on your shelf and go through them and notice how very few of them have a photograph on the cover, uh, which is probably the most literal representation of something that that you can think of. Um, Most of them are using some kind of imagery or symbols or just simplifying it. And that has to do partly with the aesthetics of the time right now that we're in um, and what's most popular. But um, I think going with something uh, on that spectrum, you know, it doesn't have to be a complete abstraction, uh, could, but um, a lot of times it's somewhere in the middle where you're taking symbol or some kind of visual, you know, clues and adding layers of meaning to them. Um, And I think with the project that you're referencing without giving too much away, it allowed for different contributors. So it it allowed for some flexibility, right? Um, If it's something that's a little bit more abstract, you allow the reader to kind of draw their own conclusions um, with giving little hints, but not being so in your face about this is what I want you to think about the meaning of the cover and the meaning of the book. It allows space for them to come in and and have some interpretation of their own. Yes, absolutely. And the funny thing about that is, and the project that we're talking about is for the soon to be released book, Elevate Your Voice, which is a collaborative book project. And as we shared the cover with contributors, we asked what were their first thoughts? What were the words that came to their mind when they looked at the cover? And it was a broad spectrum, which was beautiful because Mm -hmm. it goes to exactly what you were saying. People were able to interpret it to be what it needed to be for them and what Mm -hmm. they were seeing in the project. So it was a, it was kind of magical. Absolutely. And in thinking about talking about this, because this is probably one of the most important things I, I think as a designer in terms of the process and and coming up with that level of abstraction that allows for that space for people to come in and have their own interpretation. Um, so I was thinking about how can I explain this? Because it's kind of difficult. It's kind of abstract. Um, so I'm thinking, <laughs> how can I explain this um, for people that aren't uh, visual thinkers or aren't artists or designers? And I'm the book I'm reading right now um, is called American Dirt. And the cover 
is it, it takes place in Mexico. And so you can imagine the cover is a grid of those beautiful uh, Mexican traditional tiles, bright blue, beautiful. The story itself is quite dark. Um, and so instead of grout lines on the tile, it's got barbed wire. Mm. So it's it's like a level of abstraction. They're taking the grout and turning it into something else. Um, and you get this, it, it evokes a feeling. It's not telling you exactly what it is, but it's just, it, it's this feeling of something dangerous there where it's something beautiful, but something dangerous. And so, and, and I think that that really mirrors what the story is about. So I hope that that's helpful in terms of, you know, providing an example for, um, you know, as as your listeners are hearing this today, just thinking about their story and, and what are those feelings or what are those layers, you know, because all stories have layers, even if it's a nonfiction business book, there's multiple layers of meaning that you want people to take away. So how do you represent that in some kind of visual? Yes, I love that. And what a great example. Like I was visual, I haven't seen the cover of that book, but I could see it clearly in my mind as you described it. And Mm -hmm. what a juxtaposition thinking about, you know, the beauty of the tile and then the you know, the harshness of the barbed wire. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I wanted to touch on that you mentioned, just to circle back to, was about the norms for genres. And Mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, there's two schools of thought. There's this one school of thought where it's great to stand out and be different. You want to be noticed for being different. But when it comes to book design, I find that being too different is actually a detriment rather than working in your favor. Is that Mm -hmm. something that you find to be true or what are your thoughts on that topic? Well, that's another great question. Um, I think what you want to aim for is having your book feel like it's part of the family of your genre, like it belongs there, but just enough that it stands out so it's a little bit different or it catches people's eye. You don't want to blend in too much, but just a little different. So I think you're right on there that you don't want something that doesn't feel like it fits in. Um, and a good exercise for this is just to go to the bookstore or, you know, if you're browsing online in different genres and see that each one kind of has, you know, whether it's business books or to go to the other extreme, a romance novel, you know, those are going to have their own aesthetic. And it's funny because I collect a lot of books on branding. And I noticed a while back that so many of my books on branding use black, white, and red. I'm like, what is it about the black, white, and red <laughs> combination that just screams branding? But it's high contrast. The red, it evokes, you know, energy and power. And so there's there's the whole color psychology thing we could get into. Um, but yes, each genre kind of does have a certain family of colors, let's say, or types of, you know, different typography, uh, different styles. So I think it's it's definitely worth investigating in your genre, go through whether it's on Amazon or whether it's in your local bookstore. Um, and say like, okay, what what's similar about these books? And you don't have to be an artist to to get that. You just say, what's what's similar about these? What am I drawn to? Uh, what kind of qualities do I want to bring to my cover? And um, you know, and that's that's not copying. That's just making sure that your book feels at home on the shelf with the other books that it belongs with. Yes, feeling at home with the other books. What a great description. Mm-hmm. 
So topography is another one of those things where I've, I can say I've definitely gained an education through working with you on this topic because it's easy. I find them, you know, different fonts to be really fun and whimsical. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can get a little carried away with them. And so you've been able to provide some good advice over varying projects about some key things just to keep in mind when selecting fonts, both for the cover and the inner design of the book. Mm -hmm. Can we chat about that just for a second? Oh, sure. This is a really important one. Just because I think one of the biggest mistakes that can be made uh, when designing or when putting together your own book, if, if you don't have that uh, background or experience in book design, is uh, one, using the wrong fonts and using too many of them. So there are some traditional choices when it comes to the interior of the book. I think when you get to the cover, you can be a little bit more creative and you can speak to the personality of the story through the fonts that you use. But on the interior, at least for the body uh, type, you it's, it's my recommendation to stick with the familiar and the traditional just because there's a reason why certain fonts have been around for decades and are the preferred option for the interior. It's because they're easy to read. It just makes it an easier, uh, a better experience for the reader. Now, there are exceptions to this. What I'm thinking of primarily are, say, chapter books where you've got a lot of text. Um, if you're working on a book that's, you know, like with Small Steps, Big Impact, you know, you want to, you, we had some flexibility there because we were inviting readers to uh, contribute inside the book and there were prompts. And so there was more white space. And so it wasn't like they were reading pages and pages of text. So there's a bit more creativity if you're talking about a book that isn't a chapter book. But in general, you want to go with a, a traditional, very readable font. And when I refer to that, I'm primarily talking about a serif font, which is the most known one, let's say Times New Roman. That's not necessarily one that I recommend for the copy, but just so that people understand what I'm talking about, it's the text that, you know, has the little decorative pieces on the on the um, edges of the letters. So it's not a sans serif font. It's not like an aerial font. Um, so I do recommend going with a serif font for the interior of the book. Some Some common popular choices are fonts like Caslon or um, Garamond, Minion is another one. Um, and again, these are fonts that have been around for a long time um, and they're just easy to read. So that's what I recommend there. In terms of where you have more opportunity to branch out and be more creative um, in chapter headings um, or in the header and the footer, cover, of course, is a, is a place where you can bring in additional fonts. And I I don't recommend having any more than three fonts or, you know, three sets of type, including the interior and the cover. Um, so you're going to have your body type. Um, you might have a different one for the chapter headings, and you can copy those over to the, the cover. Um, and maybe the title of the book itself on the cover um, is a unique font as well that might get mirrored somewhere else. Um, but yes, keeping it down to no more than three, two is fine as well. One is difficult because you want to have the cover stand out in some way. And there's a really nice interplay that happens um, when you've got, for example, like a, a nice bold sans serif font on the cover with maybe like a traditional serif font for the author. 
um, and you know the subtitle. So <clears throat> it makes it look a little bit more interesting. But yeah, so basically sticking to, and one more thing on on fonts, um, because there are so many available, like you said, and when you get online and you know if you're playing around in Canva, you can see all the fonts <laughs> that are available and it's really fun. But there's definitely some that just get overused. And then when you use them, you know, you can say like, oh, that looks like that font that so-and-so used for their invitation or something like that. So you don't want to have those fonts that like, you know, a couple that come to mind are like Zepfino or Lobster, which is one that's really cool. And I, I like it, but it gets overused. So trying to come up with one that isn't easily identifiable um, for that complimentary font on the cover. Um, and when I talk about fonts and type, I, I'm kind of using them interchangeably. We tend to say fonts when we're talking about things on the computer um, and and type and typography when we're talking about print. But here I'm just using them interchangeably. But yes, yeah, so I hope that answers the question. Sticking to just no more than three, uh, going traditional on the inside and choosing something a bit different for the cover, but not a font that's been overused, something that that adds a bit of personality. Oh, and sorry, one more thing. Yes. Um, when you are choosing uh, type for the inside um, and all of the, the ones that I have mentioned, uh, those type families, um, it applies to these. You want something that has the, the you know, italic, uh, the bold, all of that. You know, you don't want any typeface that doesn't have those options because inevitably you're going to have to italicize something on the inside. And believe it or not, there are some font families out there that, that don't have the italic version or when they are italicized, you can barely tell. So when you're choosing something, go through it and make sure that the italicized version or the bold version is different enough to actually make a difference or, and that it includes those versions as well. Awesome pro tip. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, you know, and I have to confess when, when you were first sharing with me, like the readability factor inside of the pages, I was resistant to that. I'm not sure if I conveyed that or not, but I definitely was <laughs> resistant. And so I would say, you know, if you are a listener out there and you're feeling a little resistant as well, go to your bookshelf and flip through the pages. It was a real eye opener for me. I didn't realize mm -hmm. uh, that there really are standards that it is about that readability. And when something is so out of the norm, it is tiring on your eyes. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that was, that was a great education for me. So I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners today, Ashley. Oh, good. Awesome. Well, you know, I could talk to you all day because I totally geek out over this stuff. But we should wrap for now. And I'm wondering if there's anything we've, you have shared, so many juicy nuggets for people to walk away with. Is there any kind of last thought that you would like to share with that first time nonfiction author, something from a design perspective that would be useful for them to keep in mind? Um, you know, I would really think a couple of things. One, I would invite your designer to, if it's ready um, to preview a copy of your book, because I think that it's helpful as a designer just to go through and to really get a sense of the content themselves. I've been asked to do that a couple of times, and I'm surprised how much it really does help um, in addition to talking to the author. 
Um, and the other thing is, you know, we, we mentioned price before and, and budgeting. And of course, that's a huge issue when you're self-publishing and thinking of all the different costs associated with that. I think it's worth reaching out to different designers and editors and just getting a sense of what the project would cost, because you might be surprised that it's not as costly um, as you might think, and it could help you to kind of know what you need to to do and to to think about in terms of even deciding what you want for a cover design. Just that initial conversation, which for me, I'm always open to consult with people, to chat about projects with no you know, commitment. But I think sometimes in those conversations, you get to think, <clears throat> excuse me, you get to know, okay, what do I really want? You know, what, what is uh, the, the family of books that I want to belong to? What kind of imagery um, is most important? And like you mentioned, how, how open am I to seeing new ideas? Um, and I think that that's important to keep an open mind um, just from working with you, Lynette, I know that, you know, you mentioned before too, uh, in bringing those ideas to you, um, which I typically like with a book cover, maybe it's like five, anywhere from five to 10 different ideas on a cover in the initial rounds. Um, there are some things that, that surprised you or, or things where you say, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. So definitely keeping an open mind when it comes to working with designers and reaching out and seeing what, what the financial aspects look like. Yeah, I think that that is something I would encourage everyone to do because um, it will it will definitely elevate your book and make it stand out and help you to get the recognition um, that you deserve after putting so much time into the into the content. It's an incredible amount of work. I have so much respect for <laughs> everyone that's ever written a book, put it together. It is a process. Um, and one last note is that when you are self-publishing and going through the technical aspects, it surprised me when I said that, you know, it was a learning experience. It did surprise me when working with like Ingram Spark or KDP through Amazon, um, how the different technical requirements um, were very specific. And, you know, you and I had to go through a couple of times say, okay, they want this now that you, this publisher wants this. Um, and so to have the right software um, to get those file types that they require is also important. So even if it's just in that stage to consult with a professional, it just makes the process so much easier. Oh my gosh, yes. And we have had on some of our bonus episodes when I've been talking to other authors, asking them what's the one thing that they wish they would have known. And there have been a lot of answers that came up around formatting and design. And so that's a mm -hmm. great point <laughs> for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Ashley, if anyone would like to connect with you further, if they have questions or would like to explore the opportunity to work with you and what that might look like, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Um, so through my website, ashleydecal.com, um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, HD Design. Um, I think we'll have some links somewhere that they can um, find. But Absolutely. yes, I'd be happy to chat. Um, you know, like I said, that initial conversation can be super helpful. And, and I've always, uh, I always love to hear about what people are working on. So please reach out. All right. Awesome. Take Ashley up on the invitation. 
And that is going to be a wrap for today. Come back next time. That's a wrap for this episode, but don't let that get you down. Of course, there are more episodes to come. But in the meantime, join us inside the She Gets Published community where the conversation continues. Head to facebook.com slash groups slash She Gets Published to join. See you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.